This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You're listening to Valley Football First and Goal, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference on the lineupmedia.fm network. Now, your host, Kelly Burke. Welcome into another edition of the MVFC First and Gold podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Burke, and we continue our series on officiating today. And I'm pleased to be joined by the director of officials for the Big Ten Conference, now in his ninth season, Bill Carollo. Bill, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I appreciate uh, you taking the time as you uh, gear up for the really busy time of the year for yourself. Yeah, you know, a lot of people think it's the busiest time of the year when the games start. And actually, as as officials, our busiest time is the off season. Really? So we do all of our preparation and all of our training uh, right when the season ends, starting in February after the national championship games. And whether it's the FCS championship game or the FBS uh, national championship, um, we start our meetings in early February and work about six months through uh, and get ready uh, with clinics, camps, etc., uh, but a lot of the work, a lot of the preparation has been done. Um, there's a little bit of fine-tuning right now. There's still some August camps, fall camps going on. But the reality is most of our work is done. So if we're ready, it's because of the work the last six months. Yeah. You know, your role as director of officials, it's, it's a big umbrella. And so what are you overseeing week to week in season? And, and how does that relate to the Missouri Valley Football Conference? Well, the Missouri Valley Football Conference is a big part of our consortium. And I say that uh, because, it, to me, it's like the little Big Ten. You know, they have terrific coaches, uh, great teams. Uh, the competition, the organization, the structure of the conference is, is very, very solid. So, um, and the people that we bring into the Missouri Valley to be officials, I fully expect them to be in the Big Ten or my MAC, my Mid-American Conference, in anywhere from um, four to six years. So if they're they're progressing on track the way we think, if we bring them in, they're going to spend a few years. Now, that's not a good message to give to my coaches in the Missouri Valley because (laughs) I'm telling them the best people will be leaving you, right? They, They want the best people to stay. And we have to give them the right platform, if you will, to uh, get the experience. But once they've earned that right, we're going to give them an opportunity to move forward if they can. Uh, And if they don't, they'll end up where they end up. Um, And that usually takes care of itself as far as, you know, their performance and so on. So um, so the the Valley is a not necessarily a proving ground, because I do have other conferences that the D3 conferences that I oversee feed into the Valley. So I I constantly want a pipeline coming into the Missouri Valley, which is a real key component. That's their first step into the, you know, FBS uh, arena because they'll be working some Mac and Big Ten games while they're in the Valley. So they'll get tested as they, the first four or five years, they'll get tested and we'll know if they can actually work. So what we look for, I would say, is do they have the capability to perform at this college level, Division One level? And then do they have the capacity to continue to improve each year because the game gets tougher each year? And the third element that I look for is character. Do they have the right character? Are they professional enough to handle the pressure and do the right things? Because the job is really tough for three hours on Saturday, but they have to do everything else properly 
in the off season, in the during the week, etc., uh, to be on our staff. So it's it's capability, it's capacity to improve, and character. Bill, you know, I think it's important to get into your background a little bit. You have a very storied career in officiating. You know, you you were an official in the Big Ten and then in the NFL for a long time. And so would you share with us a little bit about your background and how you first got interested in officiating? Well, it's it's not unlike a lot of other people's career as far as it as you evolve. I think most of us thought that we we're pretty good athletes and we wanted to play professional football, basketball, baseball, etc. And as you get a little bit older and compete at the highest levels, you know, whether it's grade school, high school, college, etc., you'll find out that you, you might not, you know, you might make it to that level, but it's hard to make it to the next jump from high school to college, from college to the pros. So uh, my intent was not to be a referee. My, I had no referees in my family, um, but I had some very good coaches that were referees, and I had some excellent officials that worked my games in high school and college, and they encouraged me uh, to take a risk and step out and be a ref. And I got into officiating at the lowest level, at the grade school level, and you worked your way up. So you say, why would anybody want to do that for 4 or $5 a game? Work your way up and get booed by the fans on the sideline. And um, But a bit because I found out it was one of the hardest things I ever did. So it was a challenge for me to see how well or how good I could be in officiating. So I started at the bottom, worked my way up. Um, wasn't always the greatest. There's always someone better. Um, but you worked really hard, and if you have a passion for it um, and you have the right attitude, I think that's important. The motivation is really key in athletics. And I can take an average person, a good B player, and make them an A player, yeah. uh, all based on um, effort and desire and passion. So, And we're do- trying to do the, that same uh, model with regard to my officials. Just because they were a great player doesn't mean they're going to be a great official. But if they're really solid, has the attributes that we look for, uh, and they're working hard, uh, most most of the time when people stumble in officiating, it's their self-inflicted wounds. It's it's that because they didn't work hard enough, they thought they had it, they they're a little too cocky, and uh, we try to avoid those pitfalls as we go through our training. You know, how different is the game now than when you were officiating? Even you know, I think you retired from officiating. Um, maybe in 2008? Right. I finished the eighth season, finished, um, I think, an NFL championship in 09. So that's when I walked off the field. Um, well, I'd say the basic, the biggest difference is that the game has gotten a lot harder. And I wasn't, I didn't leave early, I retire early because it was too hard. Um, but it totally has changed. The it, now Let's just stay with football. Football has changed. The athletes are bigger, stronger, faster, and they continue to evolve as a tougher, uh, harder game to officiate. There's just a lot going on in, on the football field. It's very confusing rule-wise. Um, and you've got 22 players. You don't have 10 players like in basketball. Um, and it's moving pretty quick. So I just think it, it continues to challenge. So that's why we're spending more time and money in the off-season to train. Because when I started, you got ready a couple months before the season. Now it's a year-round job for our officials. Mm-hmm. These are college officials. They're independent contractors. They kind of do it on their own. They work for our conferences, my consortium. But the reality is they don't have um, um, they have other jobs, and they have a family. And the key, some of our best officials have learned to balance their family life, their real occupation, their job that they have. They might be you know, a doctor, a lawyer, a working for – I worked for IBM for 30 years while I was officiating. 
you know, and so they have some pretty responsible jobs. Some are teachers and some are, you know, every, every walk of life, but uh, they have to have the right job to get away for, you know, to get away at four o'clock on a Thursday or Friday afternoon so they can officiate, you know, a grade school game or a high school game, et cetera. And when they work their way up, it might take them eight or 10 years to get to the college level. Then they uh, realize, boy, this game has changed. So from the time I played, it was a little bit slower. They ran the ball more. They didn't pass the much as much. They didn't have the spread offenses. They didn't disguise, you know, um, their defenses as much. And you'd have to be prepared. So I think the biggest thing is football IQ. You have to understand what the coaches are trying to do, uh, not just learn the rule book, but know understand the game of football. And that's one of the biggest changes. Besides physically fit, you, we don't have the old fat guy <laughs> on the field trying to cover the play. And, and, and getting beat by 20 yards going in the end zone. We have to have athletes on the field that are officials also, and that's what we look for. Well said. You officiated two Super Bowls, and you were an alternate for a third. You know, How would you describe that experience and where it ranks among the games that you worked? Well, I think that uh, I worked a lot of big games, um, and I don't can't recite every big play or everything like that from every single game. I think a Rose Bowl was a big deal uh, in my career. I was pretty young. I worked uh, Michigan State and USC, and that was a big challenge. I just thought someday if I could ever get to a Rose Bowl, I'd be at the end of the, my path, and I've, 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 I've done it, right? I've succeeded. The ultimate goal, I think, for most officials, uh, but I think the biggest and most memorable games are NFL championship games along with that Rose Bowl. Um, those are the hardest games there's because there's a when you get to a Super Bowl both teams are champions AFC champion and NFC champion and they both succeeded in that game but in the championship game they want to get to that Super Bowl and there's a big loser in that game when you lose the championship now those are tougher games to officiate and and from that standpoint I think the my experiences with championship games are probably my most memorable um, and toughest uh, it doesn't mean they're perfect and because they were memorable because we had great games because, you know, you always have games and calls. And in the NFL, we make about three or four mistakes a game. Maybe in college at our level, Big Ten, um, Missouri Valley, we make three, uh, excuse me, five or six mistakes a game. So uh, the game has totally changed. I've had a nice opportunity. And the one reason why I retired was it's such a good path to go, go from grade school all the way to a Super Bowl, um, that I wanted to kind of share or train other people and share that experience with them. And I thought I could do more training officials to get to that level, if they're good enough, and if they want to put the work in, um, uh, give them the same experience that I had. You know, how do you go about grading officials? And what is the percentage of calls on average that they're getting right? Well, uh, we, we have an um, independent staff that grades and evaluates each game. And I have about 26 people from the NFL that are active officials on the field that actually grade and evaluate um, each game. So um, I have that. So I have maybe the best people in the game evaluating and coaching, if you will. Yes, it's and we evaluate is the call right or wrong. At the same time, it's good. It's we're pretty black and white. We're pretty boring people. It's either you know I know it's a tough call, but it's either going to be right or wrong. But not only is it right or wrong, were you in the right position? You know, did you go too quick on the call? Did you throw your flag too fast? Did you, you should have slowed down and maybe talked to your teammate on the field because maybe they had a different angle. You know, you went too quick, made your signal incomplete, out of bounds, and then someone comes in a second, second and a half later, saying I have a catch. So with that we look bad. There's indecision. Two different calls on the field, but they may have 
some other information. Maybe he didn't hang on to the ball. Maybe he had, his toe was on the white on the sideline, etc. So, so mechanics is really important. Besides just knowing the rules and, and having good, good judgment, being in the right place at the right time is really, really important. And um, so there's an evaluation process, and there's lots of categories that we go through. We give them rules testing. Uh, they have to be physically fit. Uh, we give them a Wonderlick test, which is the same as what we do in the NFL. Oh, wow. Um, we test them on, on you know, on, um, you know, it's really an IQ test, but we also test them on motivation. You know, there's five categories for motivation. So, like I said, I, I sometimes lean toward a B or B-plus player or person and then high, high motivation, and I think I get a better combination for an official. You know, if you're a rocket scientist, maybe I'll take the A-plus student, you know, yeah. and, and because they're, they're really smart, an engineer that's going to fly my, pla- my plane to my next game. But the reality is there's a combination that, that, that we look for, skill sets, um, in, in that. So I think that's, that, that's important from the standpoint of trying to find the right people. You know, Bill, what would you say are, are the biggest rule changes that we'll see this year and, you know, the biggest points of emphasis, you know, you're making to coaches and players? Well, I think that the, the rule changes are, are a two-year cycle. So this year, uh, 2017, an odd year, is um, an off-season rule changes for us. So, which, so what that means is we'll only make changes to rules that have to do with player safety. Mm. All right. If there's another rule that we don't like and, uh, you know, going out of bounds, coming back in, recovering a kick, whatever it might be, any other rule, uh, we'll wait till next year. But if it has to do with player safety, we'll make that change this year. So we did make a couple of them this year uh, with regard to player safety. So uh, we've expanded the horse collar tackle. So we put it in about eight or nine years ago. We said you couldn't grab the inside of your collar from behind or the side and drag you down and, and buckle your knees and drop your weight in the back because it's going to uh, lead to a, a knee injury for the runner. So we did that, but now we've expanded it. Your hand doesn't have to go inside the collar or the shoulder pad. You can grab the nameplate area just above the numbers from behind. If you do that and do all the other um, the, and the, the definitions of a horse collar, you know, grabbing, snatching it down and dropping your weight on the back of his legs, that will be a foul. So we've expanded that to protect the runner a little bit more. And the other one was running forward on extra points and field goals. We're not going to allow a person who is uh, that's in the second level, which is the linebacker level, and run forward and leap and jump to try to block a kick. Okay. All right. So and not a punt, but just extra points and field goals, we're going to prevent that. And um, – and really what happens when the player's in the air, they get cut and they get turned on their head and they land on their head. And we've had some injuries along that way. So we've we've made that change. And, of course, the pads and the knee pad, we want the knees covered just to protect them uh, a little bit. And that will go into effect. We made that real change. We're trying to get – we don't want shorts out there. We want the legs, the knees covered uh, with a pad in there. Uh, we've put that in there too. So those are the two rule changes along with the knee pads. Uh, but maybe the most important thing that people should continue to look at is targeting and uh, high hits with force above the shoulders or a player doesn't have to be a high hit, doesn't have to be a defenseless player using the crown of his helmet. When he drops his head and goes forward, with the, if he doesn't see his target when, you know, on the tackle or the block, um, he's going to hurt his own neck and, 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 uh, and create problems for himself from a safety standpoint. So that will be continue to be our number one focus, player safety, and in, in particular, the targeting call, which means if we do call it, we do send it to replay at every level of Division One, 
and then if it is a targeting call, they're out for the rest of the game. And if it's the second half, they're out for the next game. So that's a very um, penalized play that we want to make sure we get right, and that's why we use replay with that. Would you say from an officiating perspective, you know, is targeting, is that what you'd consider the biggest threat right now to player safety? I think I think it's the biggest threat for player safety. We keep expanding who's a defenseless player, but clearly the biggest threat, not just for player safety, but also for our game. If we don't get these rules and get, get it right when it comes to player safety, we won't have a game. We won't have a game that we know it today. I mean, 25 years from now, I, I don't know what it will be, but it might be closer to rugby. Something, <laughs> you know, we might not have face masks. We might not need helmets. Um, you know, and, and maybe be a total, totally different game. The rules committee and the people involved in football don't want that. So that's why we we keep changing and changing their safety rules every single year. And, and, and not that just it's a money thing and we don't have football or something to look at on Saturday. It's because we found and research is starting to prove that you know these hits, these continual hits and these big hits to the head area causes a lot of trauma. And CTE is, is, a, is a problem with regard to um, player safety, especially in football. And, you know, the researchers are doing it. The uh, Big Ten is doing some research with the Ivy League. And, um, of course, the NFL is doing it. And there's a lot of money being poured in this area. You know, I was watching um, your presentation at, at the Big Ten Media Days this year. You mentioned that the Big Ten is going to now have eight officials on the field. You know, how many officials does the Missouri Valley Football Conference utilize during, you know, a typical game? And how much of a difference do you feel like that eighth official on the field makes? Well, um, we went to eight officials recently, and uh, I was a big proponent of that because your first question had to do is how has the game changed? Uh, they're faster. They spread the field more. Um, and if you're just running between the, the hash marks uh, and handing off the ball when I was playing or, or when I started officiating, it was pretty easy just to cover a run. Now everyone's involved all over the field. Uh, so the eighth official, actually, if you want better officiating, you want less plays missed, you know, missed calls, no calls, uh, the eighth official has helped tremendously. And also, we also put it in for player safety, just for the blind side, the back side. We have one extra player out there looking. Before, we had two players looking at all the linemen, all the backs in the backfield, in the, in the tackle box area. And this gives us a, more of a triangle between the umpire, center judge, and referee. So number one, it was coverage that, that really helped us a lot. The Missouri Valley right now only has seven officials. And um, we would like to have eight, although it's a, it's a, it's a it's a cost factor, a budget factor for the universities uh, with the athletic directors and their budgets. Um, we know that we can improve officiating uh, to an X degree, um, but it also costs money, yeah. right? Just like just like replay cost us money to put in replay at the Missouri Valley level. Uh, but now with all the games on television, I know that you're as you you're a part of that, um, and these targeting calls and these one or two plays a game that that really needs some extra scrutiny because the human eye can only see a few frames per second. You know, you slow it down or 20 frames a second and the slow motion slows it down to two or three frames per second. It makes a big difference. I mean, we just aren't capable sometimes seeing the guy, the receiver dotting the eye with his toe on the sideline with kicking up a couple pebbles on the turf. So, um, so it really has helped the game. So technology has helped the game. The eighth official has helped the game, you know, but it's, it costs money. And I opted to go with the replay 
felt that replay would be more important at this time uh, than the eighth official. But ultimately, we'll, we'll probably get to that. It's we're not pushing it, and I'm kind of you know waiting to the point that we can justify it. And once we can justify it, we'll go to eight officials. Well, and I'm sure it'll it'll help too now. Once when you see what the Big Ten does with it this year, that you can take take a physical product back and say, hey, this is how it enhanced, you know, what we're doing. Exactly. So we have the data on how many fouls. And I didn't want to have the eighth official there and just to create um, more fouls in the game. I just don't want to miss some critical fouls, some critical unsportsmanlike or unnecessary roughness calls that we were missing. You know, so I think we have better coverage and we're starting to gather the data. And then that will, you know, the data, it's always when you want to make a rule change or, or add an extra official, show me the data. What is it going to solve? You know, we said, let's not have low blocks on kickoffs because it's dangerous. And the coaches said, well, show me the data. How many injuries? But then we showed them the data. Kickoffs are probably our most um, dangerous play. You know, everyone's running full speed, different directions, low blocks, uh, cut blocks, um, breaking up the wedge, you know, um, going, that, going at that full speed. Um, is dangerous, and that's that proved it. So that's why we made some rule changes. So likewise, we'll see the the data come in, and the eighth official might get uh, a few more legs to run with uh, uh, at the Missouri Valley level. Yeah, my conversation with Bill continues shortly. But if you're enjoying this edition of the MVFC First and Gold podcast, check out all the Lineup Media Group offerings featuring your favorite sports and non-sports podcasts too. Now back to the show. Bill, I, you know, I think most people would be surprised to, to learn that officials spend about 50% of their time in training. Um, you know, and you even alluded to it a little bit in, in the beginning of, of, of our chat, just how much, how busy the off season is. And that's where a lot of the, the preparation and work goes in before you even start the season. But what kind of preparation are the officials doing even during the week? Well, during the week, um, they, they're looking, once the season starts, um, they finish their games on Saturday, and I begin my conference calls with all the head referees starting on Sunday. What happened in your game at North Dakota State against I Northern Iowa, et cetera? And, and I, we watch all the games in the command center, um, which is, which is a, a big help. But if I have a few questions, and if I don't call them right after the game or the Sunday morning, uh, we'll have a conference call. And really, the, to that, I know most things that happen when they happen uh, live is of television. But the benefit to the conference calls on Sunday with the head referees, um, everyone shares what happened in their game. This is what happened with this player. This is what happened with this coach in this situation. Or we had a very unusual rule enforcement. Or we had a, a really a screwed up play, and we could have handled it differently. You know, and uh, from that standpoint, it helps the other officials so their crew, next time they have that team or next time they have that situation, they won't make the same mistake. So we do that on Sunday. So there's, they're, they're quickly looking and start, they start their own self-evaluation on Sunday because they have all the video. So the officials all can look at their own game, critique it, put it into the system, make comments. I called pass interference because, and that's what they do on every single call. I did not throw the flag because I didn't think it materially restricted this player. There was contact, but he was playing the ball, no foul. And they have to justify what they did or didn't do. And then someone on Monday come in, the NFL evaluators, and they look at all their plays in the entire game. Let's say it's 180-some plays. And they see if they're putting down exactly what happened on the play, or they saw it one way, and maybe the evaluator says, well, this is not enough. He does grab his jersey, but... He ran right through it. We don't want that called on every single play. 
it's too technical. So, uh, so they go through that and they worry about their grades. So just like, you know, you're taking a test, you know, they want to have a perfect game and there's never been such a thing as a perfect game. We all make mistakes. We could have, could have done it just a little bit better, whether it's a, you know, a podcast, whether it's a television, you know, show that you're doing, um, or performance on the field, a player, coach, or official never been perfect, you know, and I always say that, you know, there's only two things perfect in life and it's, it, it's your mother and it's your maker. Other than that, <laughs> we all make a lot of mistakes. So they start looking at their video on Sunday, have a conference call, get the, the games are being evaluated on, on, on Mondays. And then by Tuesday, all the grade, all the games are graded, you know, and then I circle back on Wednesday morning and kind of do a, a debrief from last week's game. We had, you know, of all the, all the conferences that we have, I go through not I don't go through every play in every game, but I and in general at a high level I talk about we had a pretty good weekend last week, a couple things we want to tighten up on. You know, these are the types of plays I want you to look at this week. I want to make sure that we're really have, you know focused in on the points of emphasis, player safety. Um, one of the things that we I didn't not mention, because it's not a rule change, but it's a point of emphasis, is the coaches coming out on the field to complain about a call. Similar to basketball, there's a box there. And if you go outside the box and complain about a block charge, you will get a technical foul in basketball. It's pretty clear. Yeah. You can you can say a lot of things. You can't say the magic words, you know, <laughs> just because you're in the box. But you know, you can say a lot of things if you stay in the box. You can't come on the floor. Same in football now. And we had the same rule. We just allowed them to step on the field on a dead ball, and we'd walk them back to the sideline, and I'll you know I'll get the head referee to come over and talk to you, and et cetera. And the reality is, we're tightening that up because they're. What we allowed some of these coaches to do, we would never allow a player to do. And they're the, the adults on the field, right? So we're going to tighten it up. So we went to all the coaches, showed them a video. These are going to be fouls starting this fall. Hmm. So that's a point of emphasis. And the commissioners were there. All the head coaches were there. And so were the coaches' uh, um, uh, uh, bosses, you know, the athletic directors. So everybody knows point of emphasis. We're going to tighten this up. We're not going to let you get away with trying to show up the officials if it is if they're challenging uh, and they're on the field. So those two things have to happen. They can't come on the field to challenge a call. And that will be a flag, 15-yard penalty. If you get two of them, Kelly, you're out of the game. Oh. The head coach is out of the game. We just put that rule in last year. It was the only sport in college that you could not throw the head coach out, hmm. which no seems kidding. ridiculous. But we never had that you know, in there, and now we have it in there that uh, you get two unsportsmanlike conduct fouls and you'll be kicked out of the game. Wow. You know, for the coach. So that's a big deal if you lose the head coach. In the <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully we get that and we do it consistently throughout the season. Uh, so the points of emphasis are always important for us to make sure that we, so when we go to these teams and, and that's a thing, something that I'd say, guys, we said, and gals, and it, it might be of interest to your, your followers and your listeners is that uh, we have more than, uh, more than six or seven female officials that are working division one football wow. that are on our staff. And we will have our first um, female head referee work some Big Ten games, and she'll have her own Mid American Conference. And we have multiple ones work in Valley. So, and the coaches know it. And this is not a gimmick. This is they've earned it. And I'm proud of that we can f identify and train and get them to the level. Uh, some of them have pl even played football, but not all of them yeah. have played foot tackle football. So, um, and that's a nice opportunity. If you played a little bit, it does help doesn't guarantee you're going to be a great ref referee, but you know, at least you're familiar with some of the things that were, that goes on during a football game. You know, most people watch it and it's like, I'm not sure what they're doing. <laughs> you know, who's doing what? Oh, that's a trap play. They're trying to lure this player in and block them. 
double team them, whatever it might be. And and if you play a little bit, sometimes that helps. You know, that's that football IQ that we talked about. Yeah. You know, Bill, pace of play is always a concern right now. And so how does video review and, and video replay fit fit into that equation of not making the games too long? Well, we average about uh, 1.8, just under two stoppages per game for replay. Um, but pace of play is important. So you'll see um, a little bit more of emphasis in this area, pace of play, with regard to getting the ball in play. After the play is over, we're going to be a little more efficient as officials. And like 20-minute uh, halftime is going to be 20-minute halftime. We're going to set the clock, clear the field, and wind it. And then we're going to try to get the players out there. So it's not going to be 22, 23 minutes. And we're going to try to take a few minutes off the game. Because we've trended the last, since uh, 2010, the last seven years, we've gone from three hours and 10 minutes to three hours and 24 minutes hmm. So uh, in FBS. So we've added 14 minutes to that game. Missouri Valley is a little bit less in FCS yeah. as far as average time. In the Valley, we only average three hours and 16 minutes. But we're still going to be as efficient as possible. So when the ball is dead, the clock's not running, we're going to try to get the ball in, put the ball down, get the teams out of their huddles and timeouts. We aren't going to let them milk it, if you will, uh, a little bit longer. If it's a 30-second timeout, it's a 30-second timeout. If it's a one-minute timeout, so we're going to be a little stricter in in those areas. So pace of play is important, and you'll see a few rule changes we put in when we went out of bounds instead of stopping the clock and waiting to, to the next snap. We put the ball down and then wind the clock. You know, um, so so those are all good things that we're trying to do to keep the game moving, to keep the fans happy, to keep everybody at home or in the stadium engaged on the game. You know, so pace of play. Um, along with, you know, the coaches know it, they like it. And in some stadiums, you'll see in the Mid-American Conference and the Big Ten, you will see like a shot clock during dead ball periods um, counting down the timeouts, whether it's not just the halftime clock, but, you know, during timeouts, you'll have, we're going to experiment with that for the NCAA to see if we can get everybody moving. The coaches know it. They don't have to ask, is TV back? Or, you know, should we finish our huddle? Uh, they can see a clock in their stadium and they can be ready to go when we're ready. Okay. You briefly touched on it, and it's it's one thing that I talked you know extensively with um, Tony Bynisky about it is the Big Ten Command Center on a typical Saturday, and so he talked about you know what his role is in that room on a Saturday. But I'm curious, you know what what your role is on in on a typical college football Saturday in that Big Ten Command Center. Well, Tony's in there, and t Tony and his team are manning all the games. We're bringing the games in from every every location that we have a game that day that our officials are officiating. And then um, um, I'm always there on a Saturday, and sometimes the commissioner will be there and um, some other people, staff people, some people monitoring um, social media, seeing what the fans are saying about a game and see if we have an issue there. Um, but I'm there to be available for um, – uh, the media, so the media can call me during the game and say, I, we don't understand why that play was handled this way. And I will explain what the rule is. I may not give them my opinion immediately yeah. uh, on a judgment call because I let that, I mean, I evaluate it. I let my NFL people evaluate it. We need to look at multiple angles, but sometimes TV has one angle and they say, how could he overturn that call to a touchdown? The winning touchdown. Uh, but I'd have to see what film that they used in the, in the replay booth to overturn that call. So, but being available to the media is important to answer questions for that. Sometimes, um, you know, administrator might call me and they have a problem. 
have a question, a concern, you know, because there's a, um, you know, it could be any anything that they have a pro- power outage to a threat to the stadium to something, something happened. Maybe it's a weather delay, um, lightning in the area. We'd like to delay the game. We'd like to clear the field. We'd like to clear the stands. You know, it's going to be how long do we have to wait before we can resume it. So those are the types of questions that would come in. Um, and we have some guidelines for that. Each conference has the guidelines with, with weather, let's say, for lightning and, and so on. So um, so we get a lot of help, but it's a coordinated effort. And the command center is, is kind of the pulse of our conferences. Um, uh, and so every game is being captured there. It's reviewed there. If there's a replay, if there's a targeting, if there's a coaching incident, there's an unusual play, I might ask Tony and his team, to mark that play, put it, that'll be a good one for training tape. Let's mark that play. I know I'm going to get a phone call by the media, you know, or the phone's ringing now. Let's take that call. And then if I have to, I have a studio at their, uh, in their office. I can, in my office, in the command center, I can, I don't have to be at the Big Ten Network or at ESPN. I can just jump on and videotape a response, and that can go live on TV uh-huh. uh, when it happens. So I don't do it too often, but I may pick up the phone and answer their questions, and, and they get a, give them a clarification on why we handled something a certain way. So I'm pretty busy, so we start early in the morning. You know, the game started at 11, and goes to about 11 or 12 at night. So it's about a 12-hour day there, and uh, we see a lot of games. Sometimes we might have 27, 28 games on a Saturday. There's a lot of games coming in. When you start calculating, you have 28 games times 180 plays on the average. Uh, a lot of things can go wrong. So we see a lot of mistakes. We see a lot of great, great officiating, too. And I can come out of there and then, you know, call the commissioner on Sunday morning and say, you know, we had a pretty good day. You know, Patty, uh, the commissioner, Patty Viverito um, for the uh, Missouri Valley, um, she'll know, you know, we had a rough day on pass interference. We had a good day on targeting. We had this or that. This coach was on the field. We had to flag him. You know, so we have a pretty good communication and network between the games, the command center, and then the appropriate people, meaning the commissioners, the athletic directors, or follow up with the coaches after the game. Yeah. Bill, what do you feel like is the biggest misconception about officials? Um, the biggest misconception of officials, I would say most people, most people think it's a pretty easy job until you, if you have children and you have, or looking at a kid's soccer game and someone doesn't show up and they'll ask them, why don't you go out there and be the uh, uh, the referee or be the linesman and you decide if it's going to be offsides in soccer. Most of them can't do it. It's <laughs> a lot harder. As simple as it looks, who hit the ball, who touched the ball last in basketball when it, before it out of bounds. It happens way faster than people think. And so I think it's harder than most people uh, realize. If you ever had the opportunity to try it under pressure, even at a grade school level, they'll go, wow, I don't want to do that. I'm going to get yelled at before I even start, you know, and so that's one thing. And the other thing is they'd be surprised how much work it takes to be a referee. If you calculate how many, you know, how much you get paid per hour, it's not for the three-hour game. It's, they might put in, depending on what level, Kelly, it could be, you know, anywhere from 15 to 30 hours a week hmm. extra just to work that three-hour game. And the effort, most people say, for that kind of money, I don't want to do it. You know, so you have to find the right person, the right character, um, the right intangibles, that are thick skinned, that understand it, and that really want to do the right thing, the fair thing. And and, and acknowledge when you make a mistake, acknowledge, coach, if the quarterback got hit in the head, then, then I must have missed it. I thought he hit him in the shoulder. I had a pretty good look at it. You know, we're going to really tighten this up. I'll keep a, qu- a closer eye on this. So you've got to admit your mistakes, have really good interpersonal skills, communication skills, 
Um, but most people would be surprised the amount of work that goes into it and, and how hard it is. Bill, do you miss being actually on the field, you know, working a game um, anymore? And, and what do you enjoy most about your current role? Well, I think, you know, when it comes around to playoff times and big games, I kind of miss that adrenaline, the pressure, the nervousness, um, the uneasiness going into a huge game, uh, just to see how good I could really be. So that's the challenge. It's like playing golf or can I break 80? Can I do this? Can I shoot par? You know, and that challenge uh, is what motivates me. So I missed that a little bit, but it was my decision to retire early after 20 some years with the NFL. And, um, and I thought the challenge of training and helping other people in this unpopular profession of <laughs> like, who wants to be a referee? Why would you want to walk out there, you know, and get booed before as you come out with these funny stripes on and, and walk out in the field? Why would you want to do that? I mean, what's wrong with you? You know, and because I did it a couple of times. I thought, why this is really hard. You know, so the challenge of trying to be respected in this profession, which isn't always the case. You're not always because fans look at their teams and their players and their little Johnny or uh, Susie on the field or whatever, whoever it might be in just from their perspective, their team, their kid playing. And they don't look at it like, well, yeah, but here's the rule. And they apply the rule properly. And yes, you're going to get a penalty. And yes, it's not a touchdown. You know, they won't like it and they, they can't quite accept that yeah. you know and so I think it's um, it's something that that wasn't early on in my career I wanted to be an athlete and continue and I wanted to go into business so I did all those things but now that I've left the field um, I missed that maybe that action on a championship game but I really enjoy like you know we've got some big games coming up the first weekend of the season that's action for me to see how good my officials can do under the big, biggest stage under a lot of pressure, and we know they're human. It's the first game of the year, and we've got you guys working major games on the first weekend that will actually help decide the national championship. You know who's going to get go on to you know four months from now. You know into the FBS championship or the FCS championship. So um, my job is to try to train them and get the best out of them, motivate them, work, make them work hard. And it, they're independent contractors. They're part-time workers, if you will. And as it, as it turned out, when I started, I was a part-time official. Today, these officials, even though they have a family, even though they have a regular job, an occupation, a profession, they also have one-third of their life dedicated to officiating. And they work their tail off to be the best that they can be. Um, but I get excited when I see my officials out there working and see the hard work they put into it and it pays off. Because I can see it. Maybe the average fan doesn't see it, but I know exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it and or they're indecisive. No, they're getting together. They're trying to get it right. And that's our ultimate goal. We talk about being graded and evaluated and having some accountability. But in essence, when we actually throw the flag and we have all the numbers on that, when we actually throw the flag, we're correct about 96 percent of the time, 96 and a half percent when we throw the flag. But when I look at the total evaluation, sometimes when we don't throw the flag and we should have, we're, we're out of position mechanically, uh, and we and we um, got beat to the goal line by the player, et cetera. There's other things we look at. Uh, misapplied a rule, uh, went nine yards or nine and a half yards. It was a 10-yard penalty. Um, all those things that most fans don't see all those little errors. But when we do the entire evaluation, um, we're correct about 93, 94% of the time. So we when we factor in everything. 
So about around 93% of the time we're correct on the field. So that's a pretty good accuracy. And when you take a look at, you know, federal judges, you know, or local judges, and they get their, their rulings appealed and overturned, that's a higher rate of accuracy than the, uh, an appeals uh, circuit court, you know, as far as at being right 93% of the time. So uh, I'm kind of proud of what we do there. We work really hard at that. Um, we know we're going to continue to make mistakes because, and if we don't have replay, it's not reviewable and it's a judgment call and we look at it, my evaluators say, you know, we, we would prefer this to be called. You should have thrown the flag on that plate. So it's, it's, in, it's in the eyes of the beholder and your background. And we're trying to do what's right based on the rules, the interpretations, the points of emphasis. And the coaches know it's a pretty hard job. Bill, you have four children and you'll have to share if you have any grandchildren yet, but you know, officiating in general, it's such a serious job. And as you said earlier, you know, it can be a thankless job at times, but how does your family, you know, kind of help you keep everything in perspective? Well, the, the family keeps me balanced, I think. And when I was on the field, um, they were proud of me um, until I turned the microphone on, I misspoke or confused which team and pointed the wrong direction and they get all really embarrassed. So they <laughs> like it when everything goes well. Uh, when it doesn't go so well, when I've had, you know, some very controversial um, NFC championship games uh, going back several years um, where there's death threats and, you know, catch, no catch, and that big controversy that still lingers today, 15 years ago in a, in a, in a game. And, and between myself and my replay person, Jerry Mark Bright, who's a long time, 50 plus years in the NFL, um, he was my replay guy at the time. And we overturned a call. It was Bertie Manuel's catch. And we said it was incomplete and it was done technically correct. But next year, what did they do? They changed the rule. They said, mm -hmm. okay, now the ball can change, touch the ground. And so they make changes to that. So, um, so there's always been a lot of pressure, but my family's been involved and they get a little embarrassed when things don't go as well as I'd like them to go. Um, but I would say that they're very supportive. Um, they're very proud of their dad. Um, and they probably were disappointed when I retired early from the NFL um, but they know this was my passion to try to help other officials and you try to be successful at one level. And if you can do something else and reinvent yourself, I wasn't a teacher. I'm not a, I don't, I'm not trained in this area to be a, a great teacher. That wasn't my background. I was a business guy. And, um, but I think, you know, that's what I wanted to do. Life's short. And, you know, it's just one more, um, challenge you look at and say, you know, what? I think I'd like to try to do that. I want how good I really can be and kind of reinvent yourself for that. And I could have stayed in the field at least 10 more years, you know, but I, um, but I just felt this was, this was my mission. This was my goal. And, and I did that. So the family has been really good. They still want free tickets. And they, <laughs> it's been really good from the family. Yeah. That's awesome. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you feel like is important to share? Oh boy. You've, you've asked, you've done a terrific job, Kelly, in, in trying to draw out, um, the blind side of officiating the people that don't see it, you know, that, that you just, you see a call and you see a replay and you see a, an announcer's opinion on that. Um, uh, but there's, I guess the biggest thing is the human element. These guys and these gals that are officials, um, and the gals are blazing new ground in my opinion. Uh, when we have the first, you know, female head referee, uh, at the big 10 level, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and, and I wouldn't put my reputation or her reputation or anybody's, or the conference reputation, unless they're qualified to do that. Um, but I think that, um, 
you know, the, the opportunity is there if people want to do it. Most people have an opinion on it and they find out it's a lot harder than they think, you know, and they don't want to do it. So it's hard to bring people into our profession. But I think the human side of officiating is the one thing that I, I'd like to have you underscore that, you know, these are really people, they have lives. Uh, they don't need death threats on a game because a call didn't go right, even if it was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 180 some plays that we could have gotten right to ch- change the outcome of the game. And I'm not minimizing mistakes. I mean, it's it's a tragedy if we make a mistake and it causes a team to lose. But usually it isn't one play. It's multiple plays, you know, that happen in a game. Um, but these are real people that try to work really hard at what they do. And uh, you need them in the game. Um, and they'll always be around. And I'm sure there'll always be controversy around who is the referee, you know, in that game. Well, Bill, this has been a real pleasure, and I really appreciate you carving out time today uh, to chat with me, and I feel like I'm walking away from this uh, with so much even more knowledge, you know, about officiating in general and, and video review and video replay, and, if, and, and for all the listeners and viewers out there, I'm sure they're going to do the same. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. I, I really appreciate your professionalism and, and your, your true interest in officiating and trying to make the game better. And I want to wish you and your team good luck for this season. Thank you so much. Well, if you like what you heard from Bill Carollo and our MVFC First and Gold podcast, take a moment and subscribe. Lineupmedia.fm also is home to many other podcasts, shows like You're on the Clock, the Cowboys podcast, and the Blues NHL podcast are just some of the options. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Tune in next week for another episode of Valley Football First and Goal with Kelly Bird, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference, only on the lineupmedia.fm network. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere you get your podcasts. This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.